Welcome to the Built Not Born podcast presented by Edge Leadership Academy. I'm your host, David Kitchen, and every week I'm going to be having conversations with some of the top leaders in their fields to figure out what built them into the leaders they are today and what we can all take away from their journey. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share, like, and leave a review so we can continue to bring you more content like this. Also, make sure you join us on our website, www.edgeleadershipacademy.com for a ton of free content and resources for leaders and those wanting to be leaders, and be sure to follow us on social media. I'm fired up to be part of this project, and I'm really looking forward to getting to work. Leaders are built, not born. Today's a really special interview for me as I get to sit down with my high school head coach, Gary Campbell Jr. Uh, Coach Campbell had a huge influence on me, and he's now the head football coach at Wakona Regional up in Massachusetts, where he's won numerous titles, led his team in three state championship appearances, um, and just all around, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that is easy to talk to, and he's someone that I'm sure you guys will take a bunch of nuggets away from. He's one of the most authentic leaders I've been around, and I'm really fired up to bring you guys this episode, so hopefully you enjoy. Really fired up to bring this to you guys. I think there's going to be a ton of nuggets for people to pull out of this, whether you're a young leader, um, an older leader, whatever the situation may be. I think there's going to be a ton of valuable information in this, so I'll shut my mouth now. We'll let Coach Campbell take the mic. Uh, Coach, fired up to have you, man. Just give everybody a little bit of uh, background on you, kind of education, where you grew up, that kind of stuff, so we can paint the picture a little bit. First of all, I'm absolutely humbled and excited to be with you, Dave. Uh, Plain and simple, uh, when you gave me this call, I was fired up because uh, to see where you're heading and what you're doing, um, you know, the last time we really saw each other was probably – a good 10, 15 years ago now. I know that's scary to think about, but it was a while ago. Uh, So 10 years ago, but uh, my name's Gary Campbell. I've been a high school football coach now for, oh boy, about 28 years. So assistant and head coach. So I've been at a couple stops uh, and only two. I've been really, really blessed. Only been to a couple spots. And that's my alma mater here, Wakona Regional High School, which is in Dalton, Massachusetts. Um, and then also I was, I was fortunate enough uh, to be a coach down at the uh, legendary uh, Berwick High School down there. And not legendary because of me, no, legendary because of uh, the tradition and everything that is around. That town is dripping wet with football tradition. Uh, so I was lucky enough to help lead that program for a little while. A lot of great guys run through there and great coaches. So uh I'm also, I'm, like I said, I'm a Wakona Regional High School graduate. I'm a Springfield College graduate. The Mafia. Springfield, Springfield Mass. Mafia. Yeah, <laughs> Springfield, we're all over the place. We're like rats. Oh, man. Uh, we are all over the place. Uh, it is a coaching mecca. There's many coaches and teachers that come out of there. And, and I think there's a, there's a reason for that. We had a great leaders there. And, and I, I, I believe I had a great education there. Physical education major, health major. Uh, but really, it was more about the humanics. It was more about people. Many people know the Springfield College is the YMCA uh, leader and everything like that. So it's, it's all about people and, and teaching people. So uh, I was very lucky uh, to found that school. Uh, so that's basically my background. Yeah, I was awesome. an absolutely terrible football player. Um, I was a quarterback. I ran around. We ran triple option. Uh, high school, we ran wing T. Uh, my first, uh, my first uh, job in 
in high school as a JV football coach at Taconic High School in Pittsfield. We ran spread. So, I, you know, I'm all messed up. I, I got a lot in me, uh, and I got a lot of stuff going on in my head sometimes. But all of those things have actually molded who I am, all my experiences. Absolutely. And always the opportunity to come back and, and coach at your alma mater is huge. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to do that at Susquehanna and, and it was one of those things like, it's just different. You know, I, I loved coaching everywhere I've been and, and was lucky enough to go to the division one level and spend some time there, but to be able to go home and, and coach at somewhere where I played and see these guys wearing the workout gear that I wore and having the helmets that I had, I was like, this is a really special opportunity. And it says a lot about what your school thinks of you you know, to bring you back and, and have you be able to, to lead those cultures and lead those teams is, is a really special thing. So that's awesome, Coach. We'll, we'll jump right into this, man. Um, you know, from a culture standpoint, it's, it's always interesting to see how leaders handle that and what they kind of, you know, where that comes from. Because everybody has their own style when it comes to building a culture and building their own, you know, legacy or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think a lot of times that has to do with the influence that they had on them. So I know you alluded to, you know, Springfield and some of the people you were with there, but who do you think was the biggest influence on your life? Um, and what values did you take from that person? No doubt. I've had many. If I had to pick a singular, it'd be my father. Uh, my father was a coach. Uh, so I come from that tree. Uh, so my father was a high school coach and a college coach. Uh, he coached at various high schools in Massachusetts, but he also coached at a, a small liberal arts college called Williams College, which is part of the NESCAC. Mm -hmm. um, so he was a running backs coach up there. So I, I learned quite a bit from him and just being a fly on the wall. And it's not just X's and O's, it was just how people treated him and how he treated people. Uh, so that was a big deal. But then from there, my high school basketball coach uh, was a huge influence on me. Uh, we were very successful in basketball. Uh, we were a state champion in basketball. I happened to be lucky enough to be a part of that team. And um, Coach Ladley, Ed Ladley, uh, who's passed uh, since, uh, he taught us the sense of family. He taught us the sense of togetherness. Uh, and that, that was a huge piece that no matter what we did, it was all together. Good, bad, ugly, we're one. That was big. And then, like I alluded to, when I went to Springfield College, Coach DeLong taught me never to give up on somebody there. I gave up on myself. I certainly uh, was one of those people that, you know, you come from a program, you're the captain, you're the guy, you're an athlete. Well, he told us right away, Hey, I have 120 guys we had on the team. About 80 of you were captains. You were all stars. So he's like, drop the high school hero shit right away. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was right. And, and, but then when he sunk you that low, he also brought you back up and told you why you were there. So he was a, a huge influence for me uh, because, you know, in college, you get recruited behind. And guess what? They don't recruit chumps. They recruit someone to replace you. <laughs> and you Absolutely. have to accept that. Absolutely. That's, that's hard to accept. And, uh, and it was very hard for me to accept. Uh, and, and, and Coach DeLong was phenomenal at that. And then after that, I, I got out of college and was able to coach high school football. And the couple coaches that I had, Coach Lucaroni, David Lucaroni, and Coach Danny Sullivan, uh, were people guys. In other words, again, it, it, none of this was X's and O's. Mm -hmm. It was all about how you treat your fellow coaches, how you treat your players, 
uh, how to treat the people who you supposedly are leading the charge into battle. Well, why would they want to fight for you? And I learned that from those guys. And that is to create relationships. And that is to treat others well and to be with them and go through the struggles with them, have empathy with them, understand where they're coming from, what situation they're in. So I, I was really lucky to learn from them. And then the education continues. I'll tell you right now, I'm 50 years old. Like I said, I'm 28 years in of total coaching, 26 in head coaching. And I learn every day. Uh, I learn every day. This is why I'm excited for you. I'll, I'll watch you uh, on your podcast and listen to everything and everything that's going on on social media. I'll, I'll take a tidbit from here uh, from someone maybe you interview later. So uh, the learning never stops. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you hit on some really big words there that I, and this is why when I started this podcast, one of the things I said, and I was sitting down um, thinking about who I was going to interview, who's going to be my first guest, you know, obviously me being the, the competitive person I am, I'm like, I want to come out of the gate hot. I'm going after, you know, I'm going to try and inter interview somebody from, uh, you know, USC or, or some big school. And then I sat down and I was like, no, you know what? Some of the best leaders that I've been around in my own career have been people that nobody's ever heard of or people that have only been heard of in their circles, you know? And I was like, let me go back to somebody. Let me go back to my roots and pick somebody that really meant something to me. And it's awesome because just hearing you listen, just that first answer right there, you hit on empathy. You hit on being in the struggle with them. You hit on all these things. There was so little talk of football. It was so much more was about people. And that's the, you just completely, you just justified my decision. So we could stop the interview here and I <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, I did a good job. Uh, so good job, coach. I appreciate you <laughs> making me look smart right out the gate. Um, but no, it's it's awesome to hear that because it really, like I said, it just, it reaffirms things you already know. You know, you can be the biggest X's and O's guy. And whether it's coaching or you're in the medical field, you, you can know how to run a hospital inside out. But if you can't deal with your doctors and your nurses and your orderlies, and they don't want to work for you, Right. You're not going to have a successful culture. And, and so it was awesome to hear you hit on that right out of the gate. Um, gives us great kind of jumping off points to, to go into this next piece, which is going to be the culture stuff. Um, so, so we'll paint the picture real quick. So you were 34 when you came to Berwick, correct? Yes. So, so 34 years old, you were coaching in, in Massachusetts. You get the opportunity to come down to small town USA. Uh, if nobody, if people haven't been to Berwick, which I'm sure most people haven't, um, it is, if you took Friday night lights and you mixed it with backwoods of Pennsylvania, that is pretty much what you get. Um, it's a beer and a shot kind of town, but it's somewhere with a very, very deep culture and a very close knit community. Um, it's been, you know, nationally recognized for, for football. And we were parentally, you know, a, a very successful program. We're still to this day, top 15 in the nation in wins. Um, you know, we had a legendary coach there and coach Curry, um, who, who put people, you know, through college into the NFL and there's Gatorade national players of the year. So, so you walk into a program like this at 34 years old, obviously having success at, you know, at Wakona, and we were excited to have you, you know, it was new blood into the program. We were jacked up about it, you know, but how did you kind of balance that where you didn't kind of throw away the past, but you also built your own culture on top of it? I think I was old enough to know either that, or maybe it was because of my father, again, to allude and, and draw on that experience, is the simple fact that when I started coaching here at Wakona and up in, in Massachusetts, everybody compared me to my father. My father was a successful coach, 
And that you can do one of two things. You can do exactly like your father did and act exactly like your father. Or my dad told me, be you, be who you are. You're, you, that's who you are and that's that. So coming down to Berwick, I'm not gonna be Coach Curry. Coach Curry is the greatest coach in Pennsylvania school history. And so guess what? Gary Campbell's a fly on a horse's ass. And so that, that doesn't, I can't be him. Although I am now in charge of a program that is huge and, and just as uh, illustrious and traditional as any in Pennsylvania. So I was excited about that. So the passion matched perfectly. What I had to do was to get people in my boat and I had to get people to trust me. So who is Gary Campbell? David Kitchen didn't know who Gary Campbell was. Gordy Law didn't know who Gary Campbell was. Ryan Cordingly didn't know who Gary Campbell was. Uh, and really, to be honest with you, I don't know if they definitely cared until they spend time with you. So I think the magic of Berwick football to me, if I'm going to go back, believe it or not, is not on the Friday nights. That's where the, the results happen. The magic is in that field house. The magic is in that locker room. The magic is in that school. The magic is in that community. And I was lucky enough to be hired in March and able to create a culture uh, in those few months to introduce myself, to have one-on-one -on -one time with all you guys and hopefully to challenge you guys in the weight room. That's the other lucky enough thing was, I was, I was 34 years old. I could throw still not a big guy, but I could still throw some things around and, and do some things and challenge you guys and, and get after it. I wouldn't compete against you on the bench, Kitch, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, however, I get out running and, and, and challenge people and, and, and get into their heads, but then they would figure out who I am. So I think when I came down to Berwick, the, the definite thought was to be me, uh, to get as many people in my boat as possible and not to rewrite any tradition, but continue it. And that was the big reason. And, and here's where you get lucky too, here once in a while. I met people like Keith Seeley, Annie Mahaley, you know, Mike Bennett, John Jola, uh, Mike Kaufman, JJ Cleaver, on down the line. I met great people. So they bought in because they basically understood that my heart was in the right place. Um, and, and we mixed our ideas from there. But it was just that off season and in that weight room, in that field house, on the practice fields that meant the most to me. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for me, selfishly, I, I remember thinking you were crazy. Like when you got out and, and would run with us and would do these things. And I was kind of like, this dude's out of his mind. You know, <laughs> but, th but then I found myself, you know, seven years later running a 300 test at UNLV in the desert heat with my guys just to prove that, Hey, we can, I'm with you. You know what I mean? I'm here, I'm here doing this with you. Um, and you're right that the amount of buy-in that that builds from the players, because now it's not just, it's almost like that old picture of George Washington where he's leading from the front of the boat. Right. And everybody else has, has an oar in their hand and he's just points yeah. versus, you know, you were the first one over the hill with us. And I thought that was really cool. You know, and I think exactly what you said, building that culture to the point where I, I remember our, I guess it would have been my sophomore year. Um, we had a crazy off season and we really got after it. And then we went in and won a game and we ran up the stands back to our locker room after winning the game. And it was, and I remember everybody saying, Hey, it was our way of showing that we're not tired. We got more. Right. And I was like, that comes from him. That, that didn't come from us. That came from, from the way that you kind of 
created this, this atmosphere around us that was so competitive, but we loved each other so much. There was such a deep bond there um, through all our coaches, you know, so I thought that was really, really unique. And, you know, obviously I was lucky to be a part of it and you don't realize it until you get out. Um, especially, you know, when you get to the other places and your other stops along your journey, you know, for me, college, um, and then the coaching world, you know, you see these different cultures and, and you don't realize how lucky you were to grow up in a culture like I did um, until I get to that level. So it was really, really cool. So my question for you to build off of that would be, what were some of the things that you took with you when you left? Obviously you went back to Wakona. You know, what were some of the things that you were like, hey, I'm going to bring this piece of Berwick with me? I, I think um, just the simple toughness, I think the mental toughness uh, that Berwick brought, I mean, Let's face it, you, you mentioned a beer and a shot. Berwick's a tough town. And, and you know what? Sometimes uh, you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And, it, you know, part of you know, Kitch, the expectations were to win state championships and were to win them every single year, not once in a while, but it, it's time to go. And, and when that doesn't happen, how do you regroup? How do you refocus? How do you maintain? And I think what I brought back from me was uh, from Berwick for me back to Wakona was the simple love of the game of football. That's what brings you through love of the game with your brothers, love and enjoying the process of what you just went through. Because to say it wasn't difficult would be a complete lie. I felt that weight, those expectations of having to win on every single Friday night. And sometimes that weight was really heavy. Um, however, you had to remember what you were there for. It was to impact young people. It was to win football games. I'm not going to shy away from that either. It was to do those things. But at the end of the day, the relationships that we bonded between each other, the teachings of the game, and hopefully you still love the game after you left the game. Like sometimes when those expectations are all you care about is wins and losses. And if you lose maybe more than you win, which we didn't, but if you lose a bunch of important ones, that can beat you down and all of a sudden you don't love the game, then why are you there? So I think what brought me, what, what I brought back to Wakona from Burke was that pure love of that sometimes if you don't reach that highest peak, why were you reaching it for the first in the first place? I was reaching it because I absolutely loved going into battle and getting back to my first statement with you. I love the struggle. I absolutely enjoy the process. I absolutely cannot wait to get up tomorrow morning and, and get after it with the boys on the practice field. We don't have a season right now. We're in the spring, but tomorrow is awesome because we get to go on the practice field, be with each other, laugh, see what their day was like at school. Uh, you know, see who got their driver's license today, you know, all that kind of crap that goes on, but it's a part of the struggle because I, I want to fight with them on Friday nights. And so that toughness that Burke had uh, is, is just invaluable because there's an expectation and there's a weight there, but if you can turn it into a positive thing, it can also help you float. <laughs> if Absolutely. that makes sense. Absolutely. It, it's something to hold on to. It's, it's a pride thing. I still have in my, uh, in my office downstairs and everything. Um, in fact, you can see behind me, that's Crispin Field that's it. Uh, right there and uh, mixed with Wakona stuff. Um, and again, Coach Sealy just came up the other weekend, remain great friends. This is an example of uh, our, our relationship. 
and this is what we have. Mm-hmm. And then football is just that awesome Friday night fight that we get to do together. Absolutely. So that's I, I can't wait for that again. And you you hit some words there, man, that I, I think it's, it's so it, – it tells me a lot about you as a person, but I always – it tells me a lot about people as coaches and leaders too because you used some words in there that I thought were really important, one of them being love, the other one being the process. And I think so many people – put this hard exterior on when they become the leader and they're like, I can't feel anything towards these people. I can't feel anything towards this situation. They kind of remove themselves. And and in my opinion, you almost have to go the opposite way. You have to throw yourself into those people and throw yourself into that situation. So I I, I just thought it was awesome to hear you say that, you know, because that's, to me, that's what it's about, you know, and especially in today's culture, and this is kind of me getting on a tangent, but in today's culture, there's so many kids that are afraid to care, not just kids, people too, that are afraid to care. And it's almost like the, if I don't bet, I can't lose mentality, you know? And, and I know for me personally, if you care enough to be hurt by something, then that means you're in it for the right reasons. Absolutely. You know? And so what you were saying there with the weight of the town and all those things, I think that's so pertinent. And then being able to reframe that into what you said second, which was the process, reframe that into how do we come to work every day and just lay another brick? That's, yep. that's that at the end of the day, that's what we need to do. Let's just lay a brick today, be a little bit better than we were yesterday and love it along the way. Yep. So yep. that, that, that jacked me up. That is the bottom line of, of, of if you come to my practice, the, the one phrase you will hear to, every single day is, Hey, improve today. What'd you do yesterday? Just, just get a little bit better than yesterday. And that's, that's all, that's all we ever care about is, is, is it's that little thing. And I mean, that carries into the weight room. You may not be able to uh, push as much weights around that particular day, but maybe you got better because of that struggle. And because, you know, some days you walk in the weight room, you, you feel like you can do the world and you're just feeling good. Some days you walk on the basketball court, I'm not going to miss, but there's some days you're going to miss a ton. So how do you get through that struggle? How do you do that? And improving can mean up here just as much as it means in your body. And then improving, maybe also helping a teammate or doing something that today. And you, you got to push this guy, push this starter, push, push someone to be better today. Uh, and, and that is improving. I, I think that's a core of what I do is, is to improve every single day and then to enjoy that struggle. Enjoy it. Um, if it was, if it was all easy, hell, we'd all be champions. Exactly. Exactly. Simple, yeah. not easy, right? It's simple. No. Not easy. <laughs> No, I heard you say there too, you know, you, you'll hear a phrase over and over and over. And that was awesome because that was my next question for you anyways, was jumping in. You know, one of the things that we did growing up was every year at the banquet, there were, there were a few really, I think that were really unique to Berwick and really unique, unique to your program was the passing of the ball. So every year, you know, to paint the picture for people listening every year, our seniors would hand a football over and it was signed by all the captains and the captains would hand it to the next year's captains. And I thought that was a really unique kind of ceremony that we had. And I know I always got chills watching it, even now thinking about those things. But the other thing that we did at the banquet was at the end, we revealed the motto for the year. And that, and that really, you know, those things, it wasn't just something that was thrown up on a board. And I think in today's social media age, a lot of times coaches throw these hashtags out, right? Hashtag dig in, hashtag, you know, tough, whatever it is. And, and I get it. You know, you have to put some fluff out. But for us, it was, we heard that every single day. I mean, it was on the, it, I remember you coming in, you know, on January 1, when we would be able to come back to the weight room. 
and you're in there painting by hand on the wall, whatever the slogan for the year was, it was on the wall and it was there consistently. So what do you think creating a common language, like what role do you think that plays in building a team culture? I think it's huge, especially if you really think about what you want to do. I remember yours. It was one heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wanted to have one heartbeat. And and I remember distinctly why Uh, we had a lot of competition for different spots. We had uh, had to accept a lot of things. If you remember going into season, we lost our quarterback and we had to accept a young quarterback at that time. And that's hard because we had huge expectations for what we wanted to do. And so when, when I chose one heartbeat, for example, it was purely on purpose. It had a point to it. Um, there were people that had to buy in. Um, I'm thinking of an offensive lineman uh, that, that was blessed big wise, but maybe wasn't as motivated as you. And he was a great kid and everything else. And I like him, but some days were good. And some days were not. we needed one heartbeat from him. We needed him to go with his brothers and say, Hey, I'm giving my effort on every single one. We needed to be accepting of a young person, maybe coming in and leading the huddle, which is hard. Uh, we, we had to do a lot of things. So I think when choosing those mottos, you have to know your team. You have to definitely press some buttons and you have to make it very personal. And when it's personal, uh, and then you remind them of it, and then you tell them why. Like you said, it's not just on a T-shirt. It's not just whatever because it's cool and because it sounded really cool at the time, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I I think it's it. I think it has to mean have has to have purpose. And when it has purpose, and then it's reminded, and then you draw other things into it, it becomes something that you can rally around. Um, and, um, it, it, it's, it, it is, I still do it. Um, I, I still have something, uh, you know, right now because of our situation in COVID, uh, our, our motto is whatever it takes, uh, because, uh, you know, I'm sending weights home with kids. I'm doing stuff on at five 30 in the morning, uh, on Google classroom, uh, and, and showing them weights and I'm assigning them, them, their, their assignments because we can't use the weight room. Right. You know, so I'm going to find a way mm-hmm. and we're going to do whatever it takes to improve. And we're going to outwork somebody every single time. So um, so each year creates a different opportunity to somehow get the kids to figure it out. And hopefully, again, in your case, one heartbeat maybe affected a kid, maybe down the line that said, you know, I have a family now. Now it's not football, it's a family. We got to create one heartbeat for our family. And it's all about our family. Hopefully for this crew that I'm coaching this year, they're going to have struggles in their lives and whatever's coming down the road. Well, they did whatever it was it took to become successful. And, and whatever it takes is maybe something they lean on later. Uh, and I, I, think, I think it has to be personal and it has to be um, certainly uh, driven in. And driven in sometimes in difficult ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, de- definitely though. And I, but I think that's so huge. I watched the, I don't know if you've seen it, the documentary on Netflix on Doc Rivers. Yes. Um, and he talks about Ubuntu, right? With his crew when he had KG and, and Paul yes. Pierce and those guys. And, and it's exactly what he said and exactly what you just said. Like when it's constant and it's there, it becomes more than words. It becomes, that's truly who we are. And it does affect everybody in different ways. Um, you know, for me personally, like the one heartbeat thing, 
I was an arrogant kid. I was, I was physically, I was gifted, but mentally I was a seven-year-old. I was, I was a child, you know? And so (laughs) if for me, that one heartbeat thing meant something completely different than it did to the guy next to me, you know, if for me, it meant it's not all about you. This isn't the David Kitchen show. We are not the Berwick David Kitchens. We are the Berwick Bulldogs. And so for me, that meant something different than it did to the guy next to me. Um, And for a young, like you said, a young quarterback who comes in and now has to step into that leadership role, it meant for him, I need to get on the same page as these guys and they need to believe in me. And so I think exactly what you said, driving it home and making it personal for each individual um, is, is key, but it really was who we were, what we're about. And I think that's awesome that you continue to build that common language because it, it, you speak, and even, it's not always, like you said, you drive it home in, in difficult ways. Sometimes the world drives it home in difficult ways for you, right? You have that right. heart, heartbreaking loss, yeah. and you rally around, you know, something like that. Like, yeah, we were supposed to have one heartbeat, but we lost. But you know what? We'll never forget the look in each other's eyes right. after that. And, and right. so then all of a sudden, it becomes this thing, this springboard to move you forward into the next year. Um, like, I know, again, going back to our days, we went from one heartbeat to the target and yeah. the target was just, Hey, targets on your back. Now, you know where you want to go, but there's also people chasing you. Yep. What does it mean? And, and those types of situations, you know, are really unique. And I think Brad Stevens had one when they were, uh, they went to the final four a couple of years and they lost, I think twice in two years in the final four. And those kids, they speak a different language than everyone else at that point. You know, you have this common struggle, this common adversity, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and anything you can draw on that is, uh, is meaningful inside uh, is, is so beneficial to everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And it has to start from the inside out. I say that when I run my leadership workshops and when I talk to teams, when I was coaching, you know, it has to start inside because nobody in this world should ever be as passionate about your growth as you are. Right. And so that has to start here. I can't do it for you. I can push you, but I can't do it for you. It has to start inside and work its way out. Um, and so I, I think you're spot on with that, man. I really appreciate these answers are awesome because it's, it's making me feel like, okay, I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> maybe I am onto something with this. Uh, we, so. <laughs> we are of the same cloth then. Cause that's, sometimes I wonder myself. <laughs> that's it. So we'll switch gears a little bit here. And we'll talk more on the leadership side. Um, I wanted to share this story first because it's something that, you know, it it kind of shaped me and it shaped who I am and what I'm about now. Um, And so when I was in high school, senior year, uh, we voted for captains and I got a call to come down to your office. And I remember walking in the office and in my head, I'm like, I'm a captain. This is going to be sweet. This is awesome. And uh, again, you know, going back, sharing the background, I was an arrogant kid. I thought I was special and I came in and, you asked me first question was, did you vote for yourself? And I said, no. And you said, okay, well, you're not a captain by one vote. And you gave me the opportunity to change my vote. Now, whether you would have actually changed it or not, I don't know, but you gave me the opportunity to in that moment. And that for me was a real growing up moment. That was a really, it was a humbling moment to where I remember that the, the, the feeling I had in the pit of my stomach, cause we're in, having that C in Berwick history is a big, big deal. Yeah. To be a captain of a team there is a big, big deal. It's a source of pride for your whole family. Yep. And so for me, to hear that I wasn't was like a punch in the gut. And so when that happened and I said, no, I don't want to change it. And, you know, what you said next really set my life in a certain direction in one way or another. And that was that C doesn't mean anything if you can't lead. And you need to lead without it. 
And to me, I took that to heart. And so every day after that, that was something that really played in my head. And, you know, I forgot about it for a lot of years. And then when somebody asked me on a, I was doing an interview myself and somebody asked me what got you into leadership or where, what was your first, you know, um, experience with leadership. And that's what came into my head. And I was like, man, I completely forgot about that, but look at how much it shaped me, you know, over the years. And so my question to you is how do you identify leaders within your team? And then what do you do to confirm or reject those thoughts that you initially had? I think leadership evolves and I think they have to be put into difficult situations right then and there, you were put in a difficult situation. And I absolutely uh, mean what I say, and I still mean it today. And that is, even though you might not have been a captain, how you responded to that certain situation is going to determine not only how you do, but also how our offensive line would go and defensive line would go for the rest of the year, because that could have gone, that's a gamble sometimes because exactly what I do and I've always done it. My style is you have to let go of something. And if you need leaders from within, I, I'm supposedly the named leader. I'm the head coach. doesn't make me the leader. I have to earn that um, and, and get that. And, and so do captains. And so that's why I allow people to vote for captains and the coaches stay out of it. And that has burned me a couple of times because sometimes they pick the most popular kid or they just pick the best football player on the team who may be absolutely blessed athletically and is just flat out good at whatever that person does. However, might not be a great leader. Um, and, and so I've been burned a bunch of different ways. Uh, however, I've also felt the other side of that in exactly your situation. Yours, like many others, I've sat at banquets. I've sat at places in which when the captains get named off and that ball passes and all of a sudden you see that kid that wasn't named captain for various reasons. Either the kid's not outward, kid didn't vote for himself, uh, whatever the reason may be, all of a sudden they kind of put their head down for that moment. That's not the moment that's going to define them. What's going to define them is what happens after. Are they going to now, because they don't have that C on their chest, are they now going to walk away from the team? Or is that, oh, I can lead this group. I know I can still be part of the solution. Then that is the kid that becomes that leader. And that evolves over time. And when that happens and when it affirms in your heart and what happens is usually on key situations. I'll give you a perfect example of leadership. Um, it happened actually here, my first stint here at Wakona, I had an offensive tackle, David Sandrini, a great kid. He was a captain, but this affirmed his leadership. We were in our uh, sectional championship. We were playing Worcester Burncoat. They had a defensive tackle. His name was Ron Brace. Ron Brace ended up at Boston College and on the New England Patriots. But long story short is um, Ron Brace was kicking our tackles ass, mm -hmm. killing them. Fourth down and one, second quarter. We're sitting there. I, I'm at midfield. Dave, you know how I like fourth down. Uh, and, and, and I'm taking a shot. And I, I pulled the guys aside. I said, Dave, let's go. What do you think? We're going to run over your side. David Sandrini, the captain of our football team in the biggest game of the year, stopped in front of all his peers and said, go to the other side 
this guy's kicking my ass. Now, many people would sit there and go, that's not a leader. That's, that's not nothing. You would do it no matter what. Mm-hmm. No, that was very intelligent. He knew what was happening at that time. He knew he was outgunned at that time. Even if we gave him help, it was not a good situation for him. We got the first down, drive stalled. We won that game 13-7, close game. And in the second half, in the fourth quarter, that big man, high school kid, six foot four, six foot five, three ten. That's a big man big going both ways, gassed, absolutely gassed. David, 6-2, tops, tops, tops. Fourth quarter, we're near the end zone. He goes, Coach, right here. We got him. We're going to combo his ass right to the back of the end zone. And he knew it, and he smelt it, and he knew the time to do it. So the leadership part there, he felt great enough in front of his peers and comfortable enough in front of his peers to say, it's not me right now. Do it another way. Um, and, and that affirmed his captainship and his trust with not only our coaching staff, but his peers that he trusted the left side of the line as much as he trusted his side of the line in key situations. I think all these experiences help us. Um, you know, I, I tell the kids all the time, my play that I dial up could or could not work. I don't know. But I'm going to always involve you in the decision making. And I'm going to always involve everybody around because I trust you. So sometimes leadership isn't just you being the guy. Um, uh, I love LeBron. I think he's a great basketball player. Uh, but sometimes it's not just him doing it. It's deferring roles. It's being, including others. It's, it's doing times and having that timing of those things. And then at that particular time in your life, Dave, uh, uh, it ended up a springboard. Uh, it, it also, unfortunately, has gone the other way. I, I hate to say it. In my experience of 26 years, I've had kids just say, F this. I'm not the guy. And that's that. But unfortunately, that also affirmed his intentions, too. Right. Right. And I, I think, you know, it's it's so crazy because you see these situations and they really do reveal a lot around about a person, you know, and I think um, I look back now and I'm, I'm proud of the way I reacted and the way I handled the situation. But I also think that you, you hit on some things in there that we need to unpack. And that was you had the young man that felt comfortable enough to say, hey, it's not me right now. And that in itself, right, I, I say this all the time and people don't like it. I don't, I, I don't care because I'm going to keep saying it because I know it's true. There's a level of vulnerability that you have to have as a leader to be able to say, hey, it's not me right now. It's not, maybe right now is not the second. Or to be able to show that you're a human, you know, and I, and I think that is really, really important too. And so for that young man to be able to do that at 17, 18 years old, that's a big deal because, yeah. but it also says a lot about your culture in that he didn't have a fear of judgment to say, Hey, right now it's not me because he knew everybody else in the huddle said, Hey, he did what's best for our team. No judgment here. You're good, man. Let's keep going. What do we got next? You know, and I think that's huge too, because so many people they get in leadership roles, whether it's a C on their Jersey or a head coach, and you're afraid to be vulnerable and you're afraid to show that, you know, you're not perfect. You're not Superman. You're not able to, to have the answer all the time. 
Um, so for him to be able to do that at 18 years old, I think is huge. But I think, it, again, it always goes back to what's the reaction in the locker room? Because I've, I had a, a workshop with a team and we were talking about, you know, what, what does accountability look like? And I said, accountability looks like when someone throws their towel on the floor instead of in the bin and you guys say, hey, we don't do that here. And I said, but culture looks like this. What does the rest of the team do when you say that? Are you on an island? by saying, hey, we don't do that here, or does the rest of the team back you? Because that tells you what your culture is. And so I think that was an awesome example of both. You know, it showed that you had a great leader and also a great culture that supported the leader through that, which which I think is huge. And then the second piece that you said, that again, I, I said it on an interview and I got a bunch of flack from it, man. People reached out to me and they're like, dude, I don't think you're right on this. I said, talent doesn't equal leadership. You can be the most talented guy in the world. And I, my example was J.R. Smith. I said, J.R. is talented, man. Not a leader. He's not somebody that I want leading my team, you know. And so I think that's another huge part that we miss sometimes as coaches. And I've been victim of it. Where exactly what you said happens. The loudest guy in the room gets the vote or the dude that rushed for, you know, 1,500 last year. Well, he's a C. He gets a C for that. Yep. Well, why? What are we rewarding? Right. And, and right. so I, I think it says something to your team that it ties back to culture. If you reward that type of behavior, what incentive does your team have to raise the standard and behave in a different way? Right. Right. Huge, huge. It is, it is all encompassing. The field matters. Don't get me wrong, but the locker room matters in the school, walking down the hallway matters, driving out of the parking lot, and kids, if you've ever been, if any of you have ever been around a high school parking lot at the end of the day, you know, NASCAR's got nothing on us. Uh, but anyways, but does that kid stop and allow maybe somebody to go before them? Does that kid uh, do the right thing in the right moments at the critical moments? Uh, th there's your leaders. Th there's your people. And, and, and you know what? I say it all the time. People see that, even though they don't maybe uh, validate it, or they don't come up and say, hey, thank you at that particular time. We are always under judgment. We're always, that Planet Fitness thing, non-judgment zone, bunch of bull crap. We always judge what other people do, even if we don't say anything. I know when a person does something in, in, in church or in uh, a school or in their community, if they don't hold open a door, if they don't take off their hat, or if they, they, I know those are little things and maybe I'm old fashioned with some of that stuff. However, those little things matter. And, and, and it might not have anything to do with ability. Right. It might have zero to do with ability. Right. Uh, that, that's a huge part of your yeah, culture, leadership, everything encompassing. And you can tell when you have a good team is when those people do buy into that. So mm -hmm. I agree with you, Dave. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's switch the kind of the highlight back to you here. What would you define your leadership style as? Because I, I know how I would describe you. Now, obviously, you've, you know, it's been a couple of years, but what would you define your leadership style as? And where do you think that kind of developed? Um, again, I, 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 I'll start going backwards. I, I think it developed as a young person and how I had to be to be successful. I always needed energy. I'm not a, I'm not a big dude, whether it was football, basketball, and I ran track. Um, it, I wasn't a big overbearing physical person. So I needed energy. I needed to wear somebody down. Mm -hmm. uh, so going and, and then after that, I think I also developed a lot of things from the people in front of me. 
so I say all the time to, to everybody I talk to, I don't think I've had an original thought in my head, to be honest with you. Uh, but I've picked things here and there in which becomes an original because it's a part of this, it's a part of that, it's a part of that, to develop my own philosophy and my own style. So if you were to ask me my own style and, and how I think, I think I bring energy. I'm an energy person. Um, and, and I try to bring as much positive to the room. I, I believe in, and it goes back to Springfield College. I'm, I'm like a four to one guy. Uh, I'm going to give you four positives. I'm going to give you one that's a zinger. That, yeah. That's, that's going to be straight on and just tell you what it is. But after you do something, I'm going to, you know, hey, that was good. That was good. That was good. Build on that, but take that away. Mm -hmm. Let's go do something else other than that. So uh, that style, and I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really good at communicating. I, I, I'm communicating. I can communicate to people. I can I wear my heart on my sleeve. That sometimes, eh, that sometimes goes either way. You've yeah. seen me on the sideline. I, I've had to get pulled back a couple times, uh, but it, it helps with the locker room speeches and, and the tears start flowing because it matters. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it does matter. Uh, so uh, those things are important to me. So uh, other than that, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ever-evolving person, ever-evolving coach. And uh, I, I don't know where the end is, but it's nowhere close right now. <laughs> not, not, and, and I don't think there ever is one. It, it's, it's crazy, you know, and I think you go through stages um, in your evolution as a coach, even just in, you know, I coached for seven years. Just in those seven years, the coach I was when I first started to the coach that I am now is two, I mean, not two completely different, the same values are there, but sure. the way it's delivered is a lot different. And I think, you know, going back to our time together, one of the things that I always valued about you as a coach was that you knew where you stood. It was, it was very clear and it was very evident. You know, if you wanted to know the truth, you go up, you ask coach straight up, why, why am I not playing? Sit down. Here's why. And you pull up the film, see that on third and three, when you step the wrong way, that's why, you know what I mean? That's, and it's that simple. Um, and I always valued that about you. And so I kind of took that into my own coaching style. And one of the things that I always say to my teams, I'll never lie to you. I, I said, my job as a leader, I said, you know, you go to the doctor, right? I don't go to the doctor for him to tell me how good my eyes are, how good my ears are, how pretty I am. I go for him to tell me about the 10 pound tumor that's going to kill me. Right. And so for me as a coach and as a leader, I look at that's my role is to tell you the truth. Now, I'm also going to give you a plan of action on how to fix that. Right but I'm going to give you the truth. And so to hear you say that kind of stuff about the communication is huge. Um, and then the energy level, you know, when you, when you came in and I thought you were out of your mind, the first time I saw you put the visor on backwards and say, give me the ball. I'm playing quarterback. I was like, what is this dude doing? Like he's going to get killed out here, yeah. but you compete, you know, and you bring an energy level. And it was like, we took it as, Oh man, if he's going to go there, then we got to go there. You know, yeah. if he's going to come here, then you have to match it. And that was something I learned again at UNLV, um, being under a guy, Sean Manuel, who was the, also the offensive line coach at Bishop Gorman. And then he came over to UNLV with us. So he had been around, you know, right. really high level cultures and his energy level was through the roof. And he said to me, he said, it's because culture is like a snowball and it's like a boulder. Once you start pushing it up the mountain, you can't stop. You have to keep raising your energy level so that they have to match you. And if it starts to roll backwards, you're in trouble. And so, you know, that energy piece, I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And, and it, it is, it, it really is. And it, it, I think also it, it comes back to when you bring energy, 
it, it truly validates you want to be there. You think about a kid that stumbles into the weight room or stumbles onto the practice field and their body language says more than their words. It, it's so, I, I am such a body language person. It's unbelievable. Uh, and I think also because I'm not a huge social media, I mean, let's face it, we all got our Instagrams, we all got our Twitter, we all got our whatever that we use now. Uh, but that isn't real sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to show it every day. Those are clips. I tell the kids, be careful of snapshots. Be careful of that one play you had in practice, and then you said you had a good practice. No, it has to be a consistent energy throughout. Be careful of the snapshots. So many people put the snapshots in now, and those Twitter feeds are only, you know, two, three minutes of mm -hmm. unbelievable highlights. That's awesome. But how's that kid on a Tuesday afternoon practice when we have to do some physicality and it's time to get through it and it's 95 degrees out on the turf and you're sitting there and you just came out of a tough day of school. That's when I want to know. Yes. Let's put the Twitter feed on you now. Let's put yep. the camera on you now. And then, like you said, you say, nope, look, see this, see this in practice. You slacked on that. Let's go. So um, if you want kids to bring that, uh, I think. Uh, if you want anybody, whatever you're leading, if you want that to bring that, if you're the leader of your business, if you're the leader of the grocery store, you better bring that energy that morning and you better bring that energy every day or else it's, it's going to be inconsistent at best. Absolutely. And I think you brought up a big point there with the social media stuff. Like it's, we're in a world of snapshots. We're in a world of 30 second clips, 30 second videos. And my thing is always, we're not trying to move your best 30 seconds up, right? We're not trying to be better in those best 30 seconds. I want to see exactly what you said that Tuesday afternoon, let's move the baseline. Let's move your average. You know what I mean? If you if you can play at a, an A plus sometimes, and then you're a C minus other times, let's take that C minus to a C. Let's worry about that first. Cause the A plus is there. I know it's there. How do we make it more consistent? How do we close that gap? Right. Like, I think is, is where a lot of people struggle. And to me, and we can go down this rabbit hole another time, but to me, that's discipline, it's decisions, it's conscious choice um, sure. that leads to that stuff. But, you know, the social media piece is obviously has a huge impact on what we do um, as leaders and as a society, you know, so for you in particular, dealing with the high school demographic, there's such a pressure from them, from the outside world when it comes to whether it's scholarship, social media, parents, et cetera, you know, how do you work to get your team to focus on the process versus the outside perception? I think putting them in real situations. So in other words, I think you got to clearly define your goal, uh, not only collectively as a team, but also individually. So you're right. I do got parents and I do got individuals that their, their goal is to get a scholarship. Their goal is to be a D1 player. Their goal is to be on TV. Their goal is to be the best player in Massachusetts and, and everything else. And I get that. And that's okay. I, I don't want to shy away from that at all. However, let's narrow that down. Let's, let's create a goal collectively as a group. So I get them all in the room and, and that's, that's right after the banquet. Uh, and, and that is, I first talked to my captains. I listened to them. I said, what, what, what's your thoughts? What's in your heads? What do you want? Um, and, and sometimes they're similar, but sometimes they go off in different directions. And then I talk to each, we do individual meetings and we meet with kids and they say, hey, what's your goal? What, what do you want out of this? And if a kid says, I want to play division one football, there's no doubt that spring, 
I'm bringing that kid to BC. I'm bringing that kid to UConn. And that's, this is our area, University mm -hmm. of Massachusetts, on down the line. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to throw you in with that fish. You're going in that pond. Right. And you're either going to swim or you're not going to swim. And guess what? Here we go. This is what it's about. But I'm also going to talk to them about other things. And, and that is football is one aspect of what we do. What else is it that you want academically, socially, you know, all these other things. So uh, the goals are such a, a driving force uh, behind a team, behind a group. Uh, and those goals you can split down uh, as far as uh, a season. But then you, you can make goals of offensive line and how this group is going to work each and every single day and, and who's going to lead that. And, and you can keep breaking them down here and there, but so long as they are clearly defined, they are attainable. They're not unrealistic. Cause there are some kids where I look at them. I say, listen, brother, I love you to death, but you're five foot eight. You're a buck 35. You're fast for here. You know what? Down at Pine Grove park, you're going to do okay. You're going to rip everybody from, from three blocks over. You're going to rip them. But we're going to head down to Springfield. We're going to head to Worcester and then to Boston. And guess what? Each one gets a little harder. Right. And they got a lot of kids at each park that run pretty fast <laughs> and do simple things. And by the way, they're 6'2", 205. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. So yeah. sometimes just that I think the goals, realistic and attainable, is huge, huge. Because then they get in a comfort zone. And But I want them to allow... I want that five foot eight, 135 pound kid to say, I want to go D1. I want them to allow to try to do it themselves too. Mm -hmm. I'll bring you to BC. I'll, bring, let, I'll let you guys go run around with that. And then you realistically reflect on what just happened. And, and I, there's another piece, Dave, I, I think that is underrated reflection, setting goals. And then once you reflect each and every single day, uh, and each and every week, whatever it may be, I always ask the kids to reflect reflect on what you did the coaches to reflect on what you taught did it work did it get the outcome that you wanted uh is it still realistic uh all those things that we want to reflect on and then you may have to slightly change your path here and there don't don't lose your goals don't don't do that but it might be a different path that you have to take so um you know we've had a lot of great experience in that and kids that thought they were d1 had an awesome time at d3 and loved it and just and just enjoyed the process mm -hmm. of that and and so you know and we've had a lot of coaches young coaches that come in and thought that you just walk on the field on friday nights and i get a lot of coaches that come in out and I, I said no it's it's actually on a tuesday in march when it's raining out uh, and you got to be in doing that or even worse when it's june and it's 85 and everybody's at the beach Yep. And you say, no, no, we're, we're, we're right here. We're, yep. we're, 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 we're at, go to the beach some other time, but we got to put the work in today. That's so that, that's when you find out about yourself. hundred percent. And it's funny you say about the, the beach and, and in June, like I, you know, people, I come home to Berwick and, and people are like, Oh dude, you're coaching at UNLV. We saw you on TV, you played USC. That's awesome. You're probably living the life. Right. And I'm like, you know, I've lived in Vegas for two years. I haven't been to a show. I, I don't, I've been to the strip one time. Like I, the only thing I know is what the weight room and the football facility looks like, but yeah, I did play USC opening weekend. That was pretty cool. You know, it's, so you don't realize, but that is the process is exactly what you're talking about. It's a day after day um, mentality, you know, and that kind of goes into this next question that I want to ask. And that's 
you talked about reflecting and this is kind of a two-part question. So one, how do you reflect on your own personal leadership skills and some of your challenges? And then also, how do you help your staff reflect? I mean, I know that's a, a difficult thing, like giving feedback, but it's a key aspect of being a leader is being able to give that feedback. So I'm interested to hear how you do your own reflection and then also how you manage that feedback piece with your staff. Personally, my own reflection is, is daily and I write a lot. So um, I have notepad after notepad after notepad. So after a practice, after a day, after weight room, after whatever, I reflect on positives and negatives and, and, and I do it quite a bit. Sometimes I feel like too much. Sometimes I overcook it, uh, but, but I think it's, it's my style. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, I think weekly things with the coaches um, and they can be uh, very, very structured and it, at the school and I got an itinerary, I got a list and we have a serious talk, but they also for coaches, it could be on a Saturday night and let's have a couple beers and sit around the campfire and, and let's just talk and reflect that way. Uh, it has to be various ways. Um, and, and, and then it's seasonally um, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, three seasons for me, I, I believe football season uh, off season weight and strength and conditioning and an academic season. Um, I, I, the older I've gotten, the more, 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 more those academics, because let's face it, that's, that's what they're going to fall on. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I do things academically to help them too. So, so those are the three things. Um, I, I think daily personally is daily weekly check in with coaches, check in, uh, so on and so forth. And then, you know, thirds, I guess you'd say, is with team and individuals. Uh, and that is season football wise. Uh, it is, uh, what do you call it? Uh, weight, strength, training, conditioning. And then it is uh, certainly academically. And then it, I guess you could add in season. Let's face it. We have those film sessions on Saturday mornings with donuts. I don't care. I, I bring them in. Remember the donuts, cider donuts and a little apple cider. Those are good things. Yeah. But those are also that's a meeting. That's a check in. That's, yeah, that's a reality check. Um, the sky doesn't lie, man. It's... No, don't. Those Saturday <laughs> mornings, not only are you a little sore in the body, but you might be a little sore in the mind after and in Big the time. ego. Big but that, that's life. But that's okay. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, no, you hear that. Uh, who is this? <laughs> me? Who is me? <laughs> that's the and I do that on doing. purpose. Kids, kids always say, that, how come he doesn't know I'm number 75 or 76 or whatever it is? He, I do know. I, I just want to make sure. Who's 76 again? Who, who is? And I'm a little bit sarcastic at that. And, and they're like, oh, son of a gun. He's calling me out. Oh man! And I do. It's Listen, you think all coaches? It's you think all coaches go through like a vocabulary class together because everybody talks the same. I mean, I'm in meetings at, at UNLV and I hear a coach go, "Son, who teaches this? Who teach? We don't teach this." And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking like, "That's Andy Mahaley talking to me." I had flashbacks. I I was like a, a war vet in the corner. I'm like, I gotta get out You're of here. Shaking. Yeah, I don't even want to be here. Uh, coach, that's that's awesome, man. And the feedback piece is so huge because. It's awesome to set a goal. It's awesome to start that, you know, that honest conversation at the beginning of the, of the off season, where are we? But if you don't check in, in between, you really, it's easy to get lost one way or another. You have to make sure you're on track to those attainable goals. Like you talked about, which is, which is awesome. And, you know, as we wrap up here, I want to shift gears real quick, kind of some wild card questions, because at the end of the day, leadership is about people. And so I'm all about, I want to know a little bit more about you as a person. Obviously I know you as a coach and a mentor, 
Um, but I want to know more a little bit about you as a person. So we're going to jump into these. They'll be quick hitters. Uh, I just want the first answer that pops to your head. You know, so okay. first, what does the word legacy mean to you? Culmination of many, many experiences. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's the end product uh, of, of what has happened over uh, a prolonged period of time. So uh, awesome. I, I think, uh, and, and I think it's, I think that's the truth. I mean, cause some people's legacy is, eh, and some people's legacy is, is, is another way. And so, but it's a culmination of many things. And um, uh, hopefully it's what we all set out, set out for it to be positive. Absolutely. Let's, let's follow that up. What do you want your legacy to be? I want to be a positive part of uh, people's lives. I want to be a winning football coach. And when I say winning, I, I, again, I don't shy away from it. I want to win on the field. I want to win uh, in the community. I want to win in relationships. I want to win uh, in, in, in all the aspects in which football is. And, and that's, I want somebody to say, Hey, that's, that, that guy's a winner. And most people equate that to a scoreboard. And, and I think that is part of it. However, I think that's only part of it. Um, and I think um, I want my legacy to be someone who, who later in life, I had that person and, and, and we worked together and I can shake that person's hand and I can say, Hey, David Kitchen, where are you at now? How are things? And we have a mutual respect and we have fond memories and maybe some tough times because that's, that's life. Um, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's the way life goes. Um, it, it's a relationship. So I hope my legacy is that of a positive one and that at the end of the day, people enjoyed their time. Absolutely. How about personally, coach? What about from a family standpoint? Um, you know, what do you want your legacy to be there? Uh, again, I, I just, I want to be a good husband and good father. I, I want, um, you know, you're going to make me uh, emotional in this one, uh, but I, I want them I to say, you know, my kids to say, Hey, that's my dad, you know, and that's, that's pretty cool. And that's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. And then I was a good dad and uh, I was a good guy. Um, I was a good person. Um, and I want my wife to be proud that I was her husband. So, you know, and I want, you know, uh, you know, to, run this life. I've been lucky. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary, which is awesome, awesome. for anybody to be married to me for that long deserves like <laughs> medals, deserves <laughs> unbelievable stuff because I'm absent, you know, it, it's the life of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and for our kids uh, to enjoy the road they're on, I guess. That's it. I love it. I it's love it. That's, simple. A, that's, <laughs> an, that's an awesome answer though. It's an awesome answer. Cause it, it is, it's bigger than what we do. You know, it's bigger yeah. than, it's bigger than that. And your legacy. And I've said this before, you know, my legacy and what I do from a, from a coaching standpoint, from a business standpoint, to me, it's tainted if it's not matched by what I do in my personal life and Absolutely. the good, the good that I put into my family, my community, all these things. Um, so I, I think you're spot on with that, man. So we'll, we'll wrap up. We got two more here real quick. We'll bang them real quick. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Uh, it, that's easy. Um, and I hate to say it, there's two of them. Uh, but it, number one is be you. 
you can't fake it. That people smell fakes from from miles around. Uh, I am nobody else but myself. Um, so be you, whoever that is, be you. That's that's a huge bit of advice. And then um, you know uh, the second advice is is from my dad is is make aggressive mistakes. Um, if you are gonna f things up, f them up totally. Don't half-ass anything. Uh, my dad's biggest criticism of myself and anything that I ever did, and it's always stuck with me, uh, he would look at me and go, you know what? That was half-assed. Whatever you did there was half-assed. And I don't care if it was weed in the garden, mowing the lawn, or if it was uh, athletically or academically. Don't be a half-ass. If you're going to go, do it 100 miles an hour. And, and, and let the chips fall where they may. And, and, and so if, if you're not aggressive, if you're not doing it full bore, then you don't believe in what you're doing. Yeah, 100%. That's awesome. I, I love that. that yeah. Taking notes on that for sure. Yeah. Um, last question for you here, and I know it's something that, that we all struggle with as coaches, but you know, I talk about the bucket, right? And you have, only have so much energy and so much in the bucket. So we can't pour from an empty bucket. We've talked throughout this whole show about how we pour into people in our community, our teams, our families, all these things. How do you fill your bucket when the season ends? When you do have that downtime, how do you recharge? That's hard. That's, uh, I'll be honest with you, that's something I still struggle with today. Um, luckily, um, I, I, I kind of take from others. Um, I, I I do. I, I weirdly, I like manual stuff. I split wood. I know that sounds weird, but I, I, I love campfires. Uh, I, that's my time. I sit in a chair and I stare in the campfire and, and, and that's that. I know it sounds odd, but that's me. Um, I love helping others. My son's into woodworking and, and doing other things. I love seeing that because I'm not good at it. That's not my deal. But I, I think trying new things like that I'm terrible at golf, so trying that here and there. But I really fill my bucket by observing others. I Coach Bell now is at UMass. Uh, I think he's bringing great energy. Uh, unfortunately, the results right now are not there. Uh, I was just talking with you. They just got walled by Georgia Southern. Mm -hmm. I love watching what he's doing and how he's doing it. Um, and so observation of other things. And, and I think the, what the kids don't understand, I do tell them this, but I don't think they get it yet. And even the coaches, I get a ton of inspiration. What fills my bucket is actually what comes back at you. When, when certain acts happen, and they might not be football, they might be other related, community related, uh, strength conditioning related, I, I don't know. But I get really inspired and recharged. Mike Kaufman, freaking coming out all getting after it just having he it's it, now it didn't have to come from me and when it comes from other people unbelievable mm -hmm. um and so I, I think of coaches and players and my surroundings and whatever inspires you mm -hmm. um and um that helps recharge the bucket a bit um I, I say it with a grain of salt only because it's always around football right, um, right. i guess that's who i am and i've, I've kind of accepted that but I, I do wish, and I am working on stuff away from to forget about football for a bit, because I think that's healthy too. Yeah. 
Um, my, my wife has said that a couple of times. I said, you, you just need to get away for a little bit and yeah. do something else. It's really hard. I found tough. that very it's, hard. It's, it's tough. And you know, coach, honestly, it's, it's part of the reason that I made this transition and got out for a second. Um, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I may end up back in, but for right now, I, I did. I felt that way because I went on my first vacation um, in six years with my family this past summer. I made it three days. And I left, you know, three days into it, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit still. I could, I was like, I got to go. I got to get back to the office and yeah. I want to be with my guys. And that was the other thing. I wanted to be with the guys. I wanted like, right. that gives you energy, you know? So I, I think it is hard when you love something and you're passionate about it. Um, you know, luckily for me, and, and I think the same is true of you, we're passionate about people and we're passionate right. about relationships um, and the wins and losses are phenomenal. And trust me, I'll compete with anyone. And, and you know right. that at um, the end of the day, I, I want there to be a scoreboard. I want everyone to know that I beat you, but I also am passionate about the relationships and stuff. Yeah. So it is yeah. tough to turn that off, man. But coach, this has been awesome. I, I appreciate it a ton, dude. I, I honestly, I have two pages of notes here, man. This is, this is great for me. If there's any closing thoughts you got, man, shoot them. Um, it's, it's been I, phenomenal. Again, uh, it's it absolutely humbling experience to get a call out of the blue from you. Uh, it's, it's, it's just awesome. Uh, it's simply the, to be able to express what we both love uh, and, and, and again, reaffirm our, our own connection. I, I'm, I'm really excited about that, Dave. And, uh, I, I'm just really excited about the, where you're going and I'm excited for you and the journey you're about to be on. And I am certainly every step of the way, cause you post quite a bit here and there on this and the edge leadership, uh, I'm in, and I can't wait to see where you go. And I, and I'm going to follow it all the way through. So, uh, good I luck to you. That. Uh, I, I'm absolutely proud to be a part of this with you. So oh, man. good stuff. Awesome. Great experiences, yeah. Dave. No, it's, it's been great coach. And I can't think of anybody else. You know, I'm glad I did this. I'm glad I made this the first episode. I, I truly, truly am. Um, so we appreciate you a bunch. Hopefully we'll, we'll have you on again after your next state championship win. Um, yep. and we'll do a recap of that. So I, I appreciate cool. it, coach. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> All, right. Thanks a bunch. All right, my man. Great to hear from you and good luck. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I know I enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully you guys did too. I hope everyone got something that they could take away and put into practice immediately. Uh, Coach did a great job of relaying these messages and, and really laying them out in a way that was easy to digest. So please don't forget to leave a review, like, share this so we can continue the mission here of building leaders from the inside out. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week.